Hi, this is Sam Chamberlain, and welcome to Things to Ponder, the sermon podcast from St. Mary's United Church of Christ in Silver Run, Maryland. Follow along with St. Mary's at stmarysucc.org or on Facebook and Instagram. Wishing you peace and good, my friends. I got to tell you, I really enjoyed the journey of trying to think through this particular place, and I kept being drawn back to the person of Mary. And I got to tell you, I will never quite get over sort of my little, my little kid joy at being pastor at a place called St. Mary's. Because here's what you need to understand, is that Mary, in my experience growing up, always belonged to, to someone else. Like we would read about Mary at Christmas, but Mary was just kind of the person who like got the ball going. The idea that Mary had an important part to play in my, my faith and in the faith of the community that I was a part of well, if you'll, you'll permit me if I'm blunt for a second, we always kind of ceded that to the Catholics, right? Like Mary is always sort of the Catholic thing. They have a great time with Mary. Us, we just kind of cede that ground. And that always sort of frustrated me. I'm like, why is it we constantly are ceding our heritage to other people and other things? Like, no, like what does Mary have to say to me? And the more and more I thought about Mary, the more I realized, oh, Mary is the church. There's a reason we call her the exemplar of the church because what she does is what we are called to do. It's, it, it really is that simple. The angel comes and says, look, you are going to be filled with God's son and you are to bear him to the world. That's what we do. That's all the church has ever been called to do. And the last recorded words of Mary, some of my favorite words in scripture, actually happen at the wedding of Cana. You remember the story, Jesus is there and they run out of wine, you know, the first world problem, but nevertheless, Jesus has first world problems too. And they come to, and, and Mary hears about it and runs to Jesus and Jesus is like, what do you want me to do about it? And the answer seems obvious, Jesus, we need more wine. Jesus doesn't quite process that. And so the servants come running back to Mary and they're like, we don't know, like, we don't know what he's going to do. And Mary's last words in scripture are, do whatever he tells you. And from that moment, Mary has always played a really important role in my life. And so to get to think about Mary as the exemplar of this place is an absolute joy as we put together this logo and some other things that will be coming in short, uh, in short order. And as we thought about that, as we prayed about that, as we made this decision that it is a time to refresh and re-inspire our vision, to cultivate, grow, and renew our mission, and our vision, of course, which is to be a sanctuary for all God's children, built up in Christ, established in faith, and grounded in love. We wanted to make that mission and vision portable and shareable. Because that's, and that's the power of images. Images take all these prayers, all these stories, all of this stuff that is around us, and it puts it into a single thing. And we do this with lots of things. Whether it's the words that we memorize, for instance, if I simply said, our Father, your response would be, who art in heaven, that's a portable prayer. You've boiled it down, we've made it portable, you can take it with you. It's something that, it, that is inside of you. Whether it's the words we memorize or the images that we embrace, these things do the work of spiritual formation. They are turning us into something. They connect somewhere deep inside of us. It's pretty interesting, actually, isn't it, that something that we could wear or carry, which we've just given to you all, or something we could slap on the back of a car, that actually is shaping our spirits. 
You can tell something about a person by the bumper stickers on their car, can you not? Like, I kind of enjoy that process at red lights. And if it's true for us as human beings, well, then why can't that be true for us in the church? Why can't images connect with us? Why can't they be a portable package to help us understand that we are to go and to cultivate, grow, and renew people in relationship to Jesus Christ? We are to call people into deeper discipleship. That is what that logo is about. So it's interesting then that if you go through Scripture, the vast majority of it, images don't have a great reputation, right? Images are kind of frowned upon because they are so powerful and because they are so formational. The scripture writers want us to know you really got to be careful about the images that you embrace because once you embrace it, it starts doing its work. I mean, imagine, you know, the people of God in scripture understood our age millennia before we invented this stuff. And you're like, Sam, how important are images in our lives? Well, let me put it this way. You and I can be absolute best friends, right? But if I put on a Ravens jersey and you put on a Steelers jersey, <laughs> thank you, that's all I got to say. It's just an image, right? Like, there are sports people who are saying, why do we root for laundry? But goodness knows we do. Even if somebody is traded from the Ravens to the Steelers, we will cheer them one day and we will boo them the next. Those images are formational. They also anticipated our spending habits, that images shape that as well. Consider the brands that you love. My, other, my, my two daughters, one of which is here today, we enjoy spending a lot of time at Starbucks. But if you come to me, and if you say anything about the coffee at all, like, I'm here to tell you, like, can we speak openly and honestly? Starbucks coffee is not good unless you put like oodles of cream and sugar in it. Which, by the way, if you put oodles of cream and sugar in anything, that improves it. But Starbucks coffee is not good, so why do we keep going? Because we like to carry the cup around. We carry the cup, and everybody thinks we've got a little more money than we have, and everybody thinks we're a little more sophisticated than we are. But that logo has real power, does it not? And I don't know what your thing is. You know, I've got hockey stuff that I like. I like this brand. I don't like that brand. That's personal to me, but you have things. These things are shaping us, and they have real power. To put it in the negative, we shape our idols, and then our idols shape us. And this is why God, throughout most of the scriptures, is a little funny about the images that we produce. I mean, it's one of the first commandments, right? Thou shalt not make for yourself a graven image. It's actually higher than honor the Sabbath. It's higher than honor your mother and father. What God was saying is, don't make any images of me. Don't try to put me into a picture because you cannot get it right. You cannot capture an infinite God in a finite thing and you will get it wrong and it will send your spiritual formation sideways. So at Sinai, as God is forming these people, he's going, do not do this. Do not. And all the Israelites are going, well, they have images. And God's like, stop it. They're going sideways. I want you focused on me. Now, the Israelites believed in the power of words, which is why we get the law, and they believed in the power of symbols, which is where we get the Ark of the Covenant, which, and the Ark of the Covenant contained Moses' staff, the Ten Commandments. It contained manna that they ate in the wilderness. 
But all those things were directly tied to stories of God's presence in their shared life. Those things were permitted because they could say, we've never seen God, but we saw what God did, and we bear witness to what God has done in our lives. Even the psalmist today, and it's weird to pick this psalm on a day we release an image, the psalmist says, all worshipers of images are put to shame. There really is a frowning upon this because God was so concerned about spiritual formation going sideways. And all of that stands in stark contrast to us. Look around. Look at the imagery that we surround ourselves with regularly. Not only a new logo that we produce, but in our architecture. Our architecture is imagery. The glass and the lead of our windows. And the graphics of a website. And the things we wear and we carry with us. We are surrounded by images. Many of them beautiful and wonderful. But to be beautiful and wonderful is not the same thing as to be holy. So my question for you. How can a faith full of images lead us to God, to holiness, to the new creation that we so desperately desire when God has said, don't do that? Are we destined with all of this beauty to run sideways? It remains true that we can't craft anything that captures God. If you set out to draw God right now on the back of your bulletin and some of you have already started that process, I know how sermons go, and I know how kids get in the middle of a sermon. We can't capture anything that captures God. But what if God did? What if God gave us an image? What if God said, here's what I am like. I will draw it for you. I will give you an image. Well, God did exactly that. And that is the critical essential claim of the Christian faith. In the beginning of John, it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word, the story of God, the logic, in the words of J.R.R. Tolkien, the deep magic of the universe took on human form in the person of Jesus. Not a symbol, not a teacher, not something that points to another reality. What we say is that Jesus was the thing. Jesus is the image of God that has been given by God. And Paul picks up on this in Colossians at the opening of his letter when he writes, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. In him all things and in heaven and on earth were created. He himself is before all things and in him all things hold together. He says, Jesus has always been, Jesus came to be with us, and he is the image of the invisible God. He is the image of the power and the love and the concern and the closeness of God. God prohibited prohibited images all that way back when because he knew one day he was going to give us the singular image, Jesus Christ, crucified, resurrected, ascended, and sitting on the right hand of God. And in taking on our humanity, Jesus cracks open that humanity and calls us to worship in voice and in art and in story and in life. All of a sudden, all of this becomes a way that we honor the creator because Jesus has been given to us first. And from that time, the Christian church began to craft images that weren't about the image. They were about pointing to the image. 
they crafted things that said, we want you to pay attention to Jesus because that's what God looks like. And the Christian church poured all of their passion and their energy and their hope into this idea that God was with us and has enabled us to celebrate him in our full humanity. And we started crafting art that would point us to the image, using the tools of the culture around us to make sense of and communicate our faith visually. And we don't have to go back. We don't, it doesn't take long for the church to start decorating the places where they worship with images all over the place. And all of them pointed back to Christ. And that has always been the point. It's never been about a brand, and it's never been about an organization. It has always been about pointing back to that first image, the image of the invisible God who is Jesus Christ. And so to that end, I want you to consider briefly two images that are given to us. Today we're going to start with these two, and we're going to tackle the rest of these windows over the next two weeks. But I want to invite you to consider two images that are much older than all of us, I think. We turn to the east. Turn to the east. I actually did this. I got out my phone. I did the little compass thing to make sure I had this right. This is east. In this sanctuary, I get so lost, but I swear, as far as I know, this is east. Traditionally, east is where Christians would always turn to pray. We're looking towards Jesus' second coming, and we do that by turning to the east. And in these east windows, we get these two images, a cross and an anchor. For those sitting over here, I'm telling you that's what they are. Get up close later. First, the cross. In the words of the famous hymn, my hope is built on nothing less, you know the rest, right, than Jesus' blood and righteousness. All of that seen in the cross of Jesus Christ. And while the cross is the most significant story in the entirety of our faith, it can sometimes feel unrelatable. We say, Jesus went to the cross, so I don't have to. So that causes us to say, well, you know, I'm so glad that cross thing happened, and we move along our way. But no. But if you look closer at that cross, there's something else going on. I had to get real close. You can't see. I couldn't make sense of it from here. But do you see the vine? Do you see the vine wrapped around that cross? You, have, you might have to get up close but there's this vine that comes from the bottom and wraps up and goes flowing out. Those pesky vines. Because they call us back to what Jesus had to say when he said, I am the vine and you are the branches. And he calls us. He says, I want you to abide in me. Draw your strength from me. I want you to be so connected to me that you can't tell the difference where Jesus ends and you begin. I want you to love like I do. I want you to care for the world like you do. I want you to care for your neighbors like I do. I want, you to take, I want you to take your sustenance and your life from the same thing that I do, which is God the creator. And how do we do that? Well, Jesus tells us we don't get to get around the cross. Later, Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, take up your cross and follow me. That window screams to us, abide in Christ and follow me. This image points to the image. And the second is an anchor, which, interestingly enough, kind of looks like a cross, and that is on purpose. But nevertheless, the anchor is one of the very first things we see in ancient Christian structures. We see them in catacombs, anchors and fish. Now, a lot of that is because you and I, we do not live in sort of a seafaring community, but the first disciples of Jesus did. And so they were looking at this stuff all the time. And they're like, wait a second, an anchor makes a lot of sense if you're living on the side of the Sea of Galilee. A sea that would get churned up by storms from time to time, as the scriptures already bear witness to. And Hebrews tells us that Jesus is like an anchor. 
says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. I have got to stop doing that. This image, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, is rooted not in, you know, sort of, you know, our faith, that if I hold firm like an anchor, it will be okay. No, it is talking about the context of oaths and promises that we make, our commitment to Jesus. And we commit ourselves to Jesus. We just did that a couple weeks ago with the confirmands. We got to see that. We ourselves were renewed. But at the end of the day, all of those promises, all of those things, we all fail, right? Like none of us have kept like those confirmation vows and stuff. Like none of us are batting 100, batting 1,000 with this. No, when, Jesus, when Hebrews says we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, what it's saying is that Jesus is our guarantee. When you and I go astray, Jesus still anchors us to the, to the, to the seafloor that we won't get blown to the left and to the right. It is Jesus who takes us behind the curtain, so to speak. It is Jesus who is opening up a divine experience for you and for me. And in that, we have access to the divine itself because Jesus was made flesh. He grabbed hold of us, and wherever Jesus is, so we are. We have access to the divine because Jesus was made flesh, the image of the invisible God. So do you see how all these images, ideas, connections, all of it points us back to Jesus? Because good imagery connects us with our source. We have been handed images, some of them super ancient, some of them ancient by our standards. These windows are very, very old. Some of them brand new. But all of, all of these images have been given to us because they're, we're, they're supposed to shape us into disciples. We are to look through our images and to see Christ. When we do that, we see a world of possibility opening in front of us. Jesus is the new creation in which you and I abide. Jesus is the anchor for our souls and a world rocking on its access. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life that roots us in reality and in the goodness of God. Jesus is the one who calls us to a life of purpose and love, to be fruitful, as Jesus said. And we, friends, are to take all of that, to ball it up inside of ourselves, let it grow inside of us, and then go be merry and shed that on the world. So yes, in our, lo in our logo, we hope you see a vine. We hope you see the call to be, abide in Christ and to be fruitful. It is the deepest call on us as believers. These things don't point us to the church, not to the church. Never, Mary never pointed anyone to herself. She said, do whatever he tells you. Just follow after him. No, she pointed to Jesus, and as her heirs, so we do the same. And I hope in our logo also you see roots, that we are rooted to something greater than ourselves, that anchors our soul in Christ and connects us to the creator and empowers us for life. And even when we go sideways, we are rooted to the goodness of God. And I hope in all of this you hear the call to discipleship, that both these old windows and this new image calling us to love Jesus more than we do today and I hope that in the way of Mary, we find it within ourselves to share that good news with the world. Hello, St. Mary's. As we sit down on a Monday afternoon, I'm still sort of basking in the glow of yesterday as we released a new logo and a new website. And if you missed that, we've posted the release video on Facebook and on YouTube. We invite you to go check it out and leave a comment. 
And you can visit the website at stmarysucc.org. Or if you're in the prayer email, you can just click the logo at the top of that email and it'll take you right there. But all of this, all of this logo stuff, was simply to place emphasis on the next chapter of this congregation and on our mission, which is very simple, to cultivate, grow, and renew. Now that mission is wonderful for a congregation, and we certainly hope that through shared discernment, we will continue to discover new ways of being together and doing the Lord's work in our own generation. But my question in this space is, well, what about you? Mission in a congregation has to be about what is happening inside of me at least as much as what is happening inside an organization. Because the mission of a congregation is only as good as the impact it makes on real lives. So if we seek to build a great church but not a faithful life, we're headed down a road that ultimately will come to nothing. But... If we seek real deep growth in our lives, then the congregation will flourish because we'll be growing in Christ together. As Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Christ invites us, is begging us to find our life in him. And the first step in that process is a posture of prayer. Prayer is openness and attentiveness to God's will for our lives. Sometimes it's words, sometimes it's silence, sometimes it's action. But prayer is about being open to what God is doing and letting go of our own self-understanding, our own goals, our own desires to allow God's will to become central to our lives. That's what prayer does. And if we're serious about following Christ closer, we have to pray for what's going on inside of our own hearts. Now, I've heard from a lot of you, and I've heard this for the entirety of my ministry. People are saying, well, I don't really like to pray for myself. God's got more important things to do. And if I could be honest for a second, I want to call nonsense on that statement right now. Because we pray for the things most dear to us, and we pray about the things we want most. If we were deathly ill, I guarantee you would be praying that for yourself. And wouldn't we also be praying for ourselves about what God is doing inside of us? Is there nothing to be done in you that only God can do? Praying for yourself isn't self-help. It is seeking the places that God is at work in in us, is challenging us, growing us, and it is stopping and saying, God, I want you to do your great work inside of me. And so after the logo release and after this focus on mission, I want to invite us into a simple activity to begin the process of learning to pray for ourselves and what God is doing. I want you to take a piece of paper and to simply write three words on it. Write cultivate, write grow, and write renew. And in prayer, and what I mean by prayer is yes, quiet, undisturbed prayer. You may not do this in a car and you may not do it while the TV is on. I want you to sink deeply into yourself and ask you, what is God doing in you in these three areas? Cultivate. What new thing is being cultivated in your life? Or what is being pulled out of my life in order to make room for something new? Cultivation is as much tilling as it is planting. What new thing is God cultivating in you? Next, what is God growing in you? Where do you see water and fertilizer and opportunity in your life? God is growing something in you. What is it? Identify it. 
And finally, what in you needs to be renewed? What recommitment, what refreshment, what new attention to this particular area of your life is necessary in you right now? And I want you to sit with these things until you have the answers. And if God hasn't given you the answer, then your prayer is not done yet. And then finally, once you have a sense of what God is cultivating, growing, and renewing in you, I want to give you the biggest challenge of all. Share them with someone else. That someone else can be me. Maybe there's somebody else in your life that's wonderful. But when we share, we actually get our mouths to pronounce these things. There's real value in saying out loud. It's one of my rules for life. Say it out loud. And once you say it out loud, you'll hear it in your own ears and you'll understand it better. I do this all the time. But when So say it out loud to somebody else. Seek the wisdom of others who can speak into your life, give you perspective from the outside, because sometimes we're just way off base and somebody says, wait a second, I don't see that in you at all. That can be valuable. And perhaps most importantly, somebody in your life can offer you encouragement and support as we go on the journey of becoming more Christ-like. But here's the point. Whatever God is doing in us, whatever God is doing in this congregation, God is also doing in you. And there is so much for us to gain as we prayerfully consider God's living, breathing presence, not just in a church, but inside me. So I challenge you this week, let's do that work. Cultivate, grow, renew. Sit down, figure it out, share it with somebody else. And may you discover God's blessings as you faithfully seek God's activity. Peace and good, y'all.